Hello everybody, welcome to the Juan Galt Show. Today we are having a really interesting conversation about BitVM. It's a new kind of scripting um, software that has been discovered for Bitcoin that doesn't require a soft fork to do uh, much more, let's say, complex things. It's still very early on in its development, but I think it's sort of opened up some doors for potentially two-way pegs that are that don't have a counterparty, don't require any trust. And uh, so we have the founder of it, the creator of it, uh, Linus, and we have Super Tesla who created the first implementation of VidBM as a demo. And, uh, and we also have Raiden who's been doing very interesting uh, work uh, in terms of educating people about covenants and uh, CTV, APO, and so on. All of them which are soft forks that could potentially help scale Bitcoin significantly, improve privacy. And um, anyway, I mean, this conversation was great. I learned a ton. I think it is a pretty decent contribution to the conversation that's happening in public in various podcasts about this topic. And so if you want to know what's coming for the future of Bitcoin and how we're going to address the demand that's likely to come in this next bull market, then... Uh, have a good listen. Uh, anyway, without further ado, BitVM, Covenants, and Scaling Bitcoin. All right, all right, all right, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Juan Galt Show. Today, we are exploring the depths of BitVM, uh, the latest new development on the Bitcoin protocol and what that means for the future of Bitcoin. Uh, we are very lucky to have Robin Linus with us, the author of the white paper on BitVM. We've got Super Testnet, um, a developer who has worked very closely with BitVM so far, and of course, our host, Juan Galt, let me get everybody up here. would like to thank all of you for joining us on this Friday afternoon. I think we've got an excellent discussion ahead of us and something that everybody in Bitcoin really wants to get deep down into. All right, nice. Let's just get Juan. All right, he is invited. And so as we like to do on this show, I will warm up with the news items of the day. So first off, um, I mean, nobody likes to talk about price, but everybody likes to talk about price. We hit $30,000 overnight, Eastern Standard Time in America. And what does that mean? That means that the fake ETF news that came out on Monday, uh, posted by Cointelegraph that caused the price to shoot up from 27000 to 30000 and then crash back down. Well, that whole entire wick has been filled, and it seems as if the whole entire world is, uh, is getting sick of funny money, paper fiat, and they are going to things such as gold, which has also shot up ridiculously over the last two weeks, oil, and our favorite commodity, Bitcoin. 
Um, so yes, it's been uh, in other news regarding the conversion to an ETF. We've got the GPTC discount to NAV um, closing closer to neutral than it's been in the last two years. Now it's only 10.8% lower than uh than tracking the actual Bitcoin price. And um, this flipped in the beginning first half of 2021 and has been negative since then uh, throughout the the echo pump um, of, uh, of 21 and then during the whole entire barrier of 22. So interesting to see that as we potentially get closer to an ETF approval. Uh, in other news, um, <laughs> catching it, looking back on, of course, one of our favorite indicators, the inverse Jim Cramer. On October 11th, Jim Cramer called for Bitcoin to have an impeding, uh, impending price plunge, uh, just as the SBF case uh, kicked off. And he thought that having SBF on trial would lead to a Bitcoin price fall, but little does he know that SBF has absolutely nothing to do with Bitcoin and that Bitcoin is much better off with an organization such as FTX being out of the picture. Um, in other news, we've got UK regulators wanting to introduce a reportedly arduous questionnaire to test investors that they must pass in order to obtain permission to buy cryptocurrency on exchanges. Um, it seems as if Europe is leading the charge forward in terms of pretty arduous regulation when it comes to Bitcoin, as well as uh, their CBDC. Uh, just yesterday, Christine Lagarde came out uh, posting a video on Twitter saying that uh, the ECB is done with their two-year preparation phase, getting ready for the CBDC, and now they're entering into a two-year implementation phase. Um, so, yes, they're going to, quote-unquote, get the rule book in order and then be ready to launch a CBDC in Europe, supposedly by 2025. Um it's been pretty clear she had that leaked uh, fake video call with some Russian pranksters who pretended to be Zelensky, in which she made it very clear that the CBDC is their true desire over in Europe and that they are making moves such as make, fining people for using cash cash purchases over, I think it is, a thousand euros and um, and just really draconian legislation such as that. Um, over on BitcoinNews.com, one of our articles today is about uh, Jimmy Zhang, uh, the guy who <laughs> uh, stole a bunch of Bitcoin off of the Silk Road and how he got caught. Remember, he was the guy with over $3 billion worth of Bitcoin sitting uh, on a hard drive stored within a tin of, I believe it is, was Cheetos, a Cheetos tin in his closet of his bathroom, I think. And um, the way that authorities got uh, kicked off to his trail is that he allegedly reported in 2019 to the police that he had hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of cryptocurrency stolen from his home. And um, him alerting the police of that uh, put him on the radar and then led to his eventual arrest. Hello, everybody. Can you hear me? Mic check, mic check. Hello, Juan. Can you hear me? How's my audio? You sound good. Awesome. How you doing? 
Great. Uh, thank you for the intro. Great, great recap of the news this week. And uh, man, you think you just take the loss on 150 grand with three billion in a jar of Cheetos, you know? You would think. You would think. <laughs> but... All right. Uh, so let's let's introduce the show today. We have uh, Super Testnet and Linus. We're going to talk about BitVM. Very excited about that. And uh, before we get into thank that, thank you for having me on. Yes, good to have you, man. Thank uh, you. And uh, let's get into it. BitVM has been making the rounds. It's been uh, people are talking about it. There's podcasts. There's articles. Uh, let's start with. Uh, Linus, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about BitVM? And uh, I believe Super Testnet and Linus, you're, both of you are uh, founders of this project. Is that right? No. Uh, Robin created the project. I have no official connection with it. I'm just a, I'm just a fan. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, great. So maybe Linus, why don't you tell us a little bit about BitVM? What is, what is the, the goal of the project? What pro- problems do you see it potentially solving? Yeah, uh, BitVM is a computing paradigm to express Turing completes Bitcoin contracts. And um, what that means is, yeah, well, we all know the uh, EVM and BitVM kind of tries to mimic the behavior of the EVM on Bitcoin. And um, it cannot quite do that. Um, the Its capabilities of, of mimicking the, the EVM are limited. Um, I, have to be upfront about that but we are we can get quite close and um yeah in general it allows you to essentially verify any computation on bitcoin um however a fundamental limitation is that this only works in the prover verifier setting so there are two parties creating a channel similar to lightning and one party is the prover and the other one is the, is the verifier and um, yeah, the prover can make claims. It can say, for example, yeah, um, these Bitcoin were bridged out correctly from the sidechain. And then the verifier um, can challenge that claim if it is incorrect. And um, yeah, if the verifier wins the challenge, then the prover loses their deposit. And this mechanism essentially allows you to um, verify any function on top of Bitcoin. But as I said before, it's quite limited in the sense that it works only in the prover verifier setting. However, um, there are a few workarounds. For example, we could have multiple verifiers and a single prover. That would be quite cool already for for something like a bridge, for bridging BTC to other chains. Um, Because we could have, let's say, 100 verifiers and a single prover facilitating the bridging. And if one of those 100 verifiers is honest, then the bridge is safe. And um, yeah, that is vastly better than what we have so far. So far we only have federations and usually in federations you have like an honest majority assumption. And yeah, with BitBM we would get um, to like having, uh, it would would suffice if there's only a single honest party. There's no majority required. Okay, so that's very interesting. And I want us to take a step back and look at some of the problems that are being discussed uh, in the Bitcoin developer community right now. There's two major issues that I think Bitcoin is Bitcoin developers and Bitcoin community are trying to address now, which are privacy and scalability. They seem to be the most sort of pressing issues. Uh, so I want us to kind of take a little tour of 
the scalability questions. Um, but before we get into that, maybe let's do a little bit of a, an introduction for people that don't know you guys. Um, Linus, maybe tell us a little bit about yourself and your career uh, in Bitcoin, and then maybe super test us. You, you can do the same, and then we'll get into into some of the the context. Um, yeah, I'm one of the creators of ZeroSync. ZeroSync is a nonprofit company applying um, zero knowledge proofs to Bitcoin. Um, we are building. Uh, yeah, we're working on a couple of projects. Um, most notably, we're working on a chain state proof, which is. Um, uh, a validity proof of Bitcoin's chain state. It allows you to um, sync with the network state instantly. It allows you to essentially run a full node on your phone. And um, yeah, working on these zero knowledge proofs, it became kind of apparent that it would be super awesome if we had some kind of zero knowledge proof verifier also on the main layer. And yeah, we all know it's very hard to change Bitcoin and uh, soft forks happen very rarely. So um, it's not a good idea to bet on having some kind of CKP verifier uh, forked into Bitcoin. So uh, the obvious uh, last resort was to somehow try to hack a CKP verifier into Bitcoin. And that's essentially how uh, yeah, the ideas behind BitVM were created. Awesome. All right. And so, so I'm, I'm just a uh, freelance software developer in the Bitcoin space. I participate in a lot of hackathons. I make a lot of uh, free and open source projects. I'm the chairman of free and open source software at PubLab. And uh, so I, I, BitVM happens to be similar to some things I've worked on in the past. Um, so when Robin uh, was coming up with this idea, uh, he shared it with me and I was able to uh, use some previous code I'd written for other projects to come out with like a working proof of concept um, pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, I have no, yeah. So that, that's, that's me. I just make cool, cool software for Bitcoin. Awesome. Yeah. We met in El Salvador and, uh, had a, a sat down for like good three hours and just talked about all kinds of Bitcoin software, uh, things. So it's, it's great to, to talk to you again, super testnet and, uh, and to have you on as well. Um, Okay, so let's... Um, Maybe we should mention quickly that SuperTestNet and I, we, we have been working for quite a while on um, yeah, figuring out what the limits of Bitcoin script are. Like um, He already implemented like a hashing function in like low-level Bitcoin script a while ago. And uh, these ideas... And my were... Rule 110 simulator was, uh, at least to me, it's a precursor to this because it also used... Um, Boolean logic gates to emulate a virtual machine. Uh, yeah. And I, I had a couple of projects like that as well. And like all these kinds of Bitcoin script projects, they were kind of the inspiration to BitVM. So in that sense, SuperTestNet contributed a lot to it. Yeah, and there's this sort of uh, idea that Bitcoin doesn't support smart contracts, even though it's sort of one of the, let's say, founding cyberpunk ideas of, of Bitcoin. But uh, I think that's always been sort of a misconception. It's like the, the, the issue seems to be that it's just really difficult to program them and they're not very, um, they don't have the same, they don't allow for the same complexity as you see in Ethereum or other other blockchains that are more centralized and more sort of delicate, right? Um, and, and that's because Big Satoshi got paranoid at some point and basically locked down the scripting uh, options. But nevertheless, we have a, a, a pretty good array of tools, especially with Taproot. We've seen some some liberation of those tools. Um, maybe uh, we, you guys can give us a little bit of uh, of a tour. I mean, you guys mentioned peg in and peg out, and that's sort of relating to these technologies. Uh, I suppose in the general 
uh, umbrella of covenants and the idea of scaling Bitcoin through side chains um, so that we can get more people on so that we can so we can have a larger amount of people on, on the space. So let me just read a quote from an article I just read this morning that I've been hearing about. I, I listened to a, a podcast from Bitcoin Audible on it and, and basically something like um, actually, I'm not going to read the quotes very technical, but basically saying that if you had uh, one, if we wanted to get 1 billion people onto Bitcoin and they only made one transaction on chain per year, that would uh, take up about six gigabytes of on-chain space a month, which is a little bit under the current capacity of about eight gigabytes a month. Uh, that's sort of very, very broad brush, brush numbers, but uh, it gives you a sense of how limited. I mean, one on-chain transaction a year is very little, right? I think he's talking about coin joint transactions and potentially like sort of liquidity pools or lightning liquidity pools, something like that. And so uh, obviously it shows us the, the capacity restraints of Bitcoin's on-chain. And then there's the, all these discussions about different improvements or ways to sort of expand the, the, the capacity. Can, can, maybe, can you guys give us a little bit of a tour of, of the, the scaling issues in Bitcoin and some of the discussions that are some of the, the technologies that are being suggested, right? Uh, there's, you know, CTV, Apple, Opvault. Uh, maybe we can start with Super Testnet and then you guys can, maybe Linus can jump in or you guys can discuss sort of the, the context of the scaling issue. Uh, one of the challenges in trying to scale Bitcoin or one of the approaches, I should say, is to try and increase the number of people who can have a single uh, UTXO. Um, but perhaps I should tell what a UTXO is. Bitcoin uses uh, a UTXO model um, to control who has, or to, uh, not control, but rather to um, provide information about who has money on the Bitcoin ledger. If you think of the blockchain as like a spreadsheet, um, then you've got a column in there with addresses. You've got a column with, for balances. And every address that has money is in this spreadsheet somewhere. And, um, and in fact, uh, an address can be there more than one time. You can have, like, if you've received coins twice, if you received 0.25 Bitcoins and then you received uh, three Bitcoins, you don't have just one entry that says my address has 3.25 Bitcoins. You have two entries, one that says you have 0.25 and one that says you have three. Uh, and each of those entries is a UTXO. And, and Bitcoin uses this model to um, uh, reference or relay information to people who are running the software about where the coins are at and who controls them. One approach to scaling is to increase the number of people who, have, who can have control of a single UTXO. Um, this model, uh, this, uh, uh, this approach assumes that um, the, the, the limitations that are currently in place uh, as far as block size limits and um, transactions per second will remain uh, in substantially the same form. And so if we can't increase the number of entries um, on the on the ledger per like month or per day, what if we increase the number of people who have who, who have a single entry, who have a single UTXO? Um, so in that vein, there are Lightning does this. Uh, Lightning makes it so that two people have a multisig, and uh, they each have they like two people have the keys to uh, a single UTXO, and they interact with each other and with other people on the Lightning network to transfer um, uh, withdrawal rights. Uh, for a single UTXO. 
Another approach in this area is, uh, is side chains. So something like Liquid or Rootstock, both uh, uh, have everybody who wants to use the side chain put their money in a single um, Bitcoin address and uh, then get a corresponding uh, entry on, a, on, a, on another blockchain. And it's, it, it is somewhat like, um, you know, as, as the, uh, it, it's somewhat like all the people who have money on the side chain have their, have their money pooled in the same Bitcoin address on Bitcoin. And, uh, and so that, that's whoever's running the side chain, whatever company is running that side chain is then um, responsible for um, maintaining or consolidating those UTXOs that are all in that address into uh, a small number and then processing withdrawals from the side chain. Uh, so that's another approach to the scaling issue. Uh, then there's stuff like ARC that, uh, that have been proposals that came out recently that um, allow a large number of people to control a single UTXO without the same trust assumptions that a sidechain has. And uh, in this vein, if you approach, um, if you approach BitVM as a scaling solution, uh, one way you might do that is by, um, well, I, I, think, I, I think this is a good time for Robin to step in, talk about his vision for how you might use BitVM as another way to increase the number of people who can have a single UTXO. Robin, you wanna jump in here? Yeah, thanks. Um, my main idea is to use BitVM for two-way packs because I think it would be great if we had a free market of sidechains where yeah, people can just spawn their own sidechain and uh, make an offer to the market and uh, explain to people why their sidechain is better than others. And then uh, the free market can decide which sidechains are the best and the most useful. And uh, use less side chains, they can just die off and people just get their money back and everybody's happy. And I think that would be really great for innovation on Bitcoin. That would be really great to, um, yeah, for people to experiment with more compact transaction um, formats to like, yeah, have, have a higher throughput on a side chain. Also, it would be great to um, have it as like a layer for lightning end users to open channels and close channels and everything because on a side channel it could be much cheaper and they could do it uh, in a much higher frequency and um, yeah they would not suffer from all the problems of um, lightning on the main layer in a high fee environment and um, yeah we could also um, we could also uh, experiment with um, privacy solutions because what's quite interesting about privacy is that often we find protocols that are more private and also more compact. So they have higher throughput and they are more compact. And yeah, there are days, there are ideas like that. For example, um, ZK coins, which is essentially a client-side validation protocol similar to RGB or Taro. And um, yeah, it can offer perfect privacy just by adding zero knowledge proofs to a regular client-side validation model. And this way we could have a sidechain with more throughput and perfect privacy and it could be yeah, the, the layer to, to open and close lightning channels in a very private and cheap manner. And I feel like these solutions, they could really scale Bitcoin to like billions of users and millions of transactions per second. Okay. And one of the ideas here is that, you know, that there's a few technologies uh, that are trying to build uh, scalability on Bitcoin, right? One of them that's been very interesting is Fediments, right? So the idea is you have this sort of 
multi-sig everybody puts or a bunch of people put their money in there and then whoever runs the multi-sig maybe boots up a lightning node and gives them sort of like credits lightning wallets uh on behalf of the users and so on but there's a sort of custodial risk and then on top of that they can do like these sort of e-cash tokens that are very private uh, uh bitcoin denominated um let's say receipts right and but the problem is you have this sort of custodial question right and one of the issues with bitcoin is that if let's say that the, the custodians of that fediment want to uh cycle their keys you know like upgrade their multi-sig you know because you got to do that in multi-sig every every once in a while, one of the keys gets compromised. You want to cycle it, right? So you gotta you gotta sign a new UTXO. You gotta basically move your coins to a fresh multi-sig, and that means you have to move everybody's funds, right? Or if one person wants to get out, they have to sign one transaction that moves everybody's coins to a fresh multi-sig. And so one of the questions here is like, well, is there a way that we can impose um, spending limits or spending restrictions on something like a multi-sig with a with some sort of script or smart contract that makes it so that that they can only move the 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 funds that they that, that the user actually wants to move rather than risking everybody else's funds, right? That's does that sort of summary kind of explain the issue, right? And and and, and am I making sense here with this idea of restrict like restrict Thing, uh withdraws or, or restrain, restricting spending conditions in in a in a custodial scaling solution um yeah i mean since you can verify you can use the bitvm to essentially verify any function on top of bitcoin so you could also use it to verify the behavior of something uh yeah like like a fediment um but i feel like um that kind of gives you like the worst of both worlds. Like you, you have the custodian on the one hand and you have the complexity of the BitVM. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like it's, it's better to like go either, either route. Um, because like, yeah, if you do have some custodians that you, that are trustworthy, then you can facilitate essentially infinite amount of payments very, very quickly. And then you're good. On the other hand, um, if you're using BitVM, then uh, yeah, you need a federation where um, there's only one trusted party, um, or like where you have to trust that there's at least one honest party. And um, when you do that, um, you, you get that pack, which is not the payment system already. Like it's just uh, it's just a pack to some sidechain, um, and. Um, yeah, like I, I just feel it's not a great idea to mix it up, but maybe I'm wrong. Gotcha. Okay. I'd also like to point out that a lot of the um, uh, research and development that's being done in the Ethereum world uses this uh, assumption that you can get into a sidechain as long as you trust that there is one verifier who is um, who's honestly um, checking that the people who are running the sidechain are doing it properly. Uh, and this model is called um, uh, an optimistic roll-up model. Um, it's, it's achieved a lot, a, lot uh, a significant degree of success in the Ethereum community, or at least usage. And uh, one of the things that they like to point out is that there's no reason why you can't be one of the verifiers. Like if you, if you want to have uh, very solid trust assumptions and you're in this model where only one person needs to be honest, um, just make that person you. And, and if you are one of the people checking on the, on the people running the side chain and making sure they're processing it correctly, um, then you're, you're really just trusting yourself. 
which I think is is good. Uh, that that messaging or that um, that possibility of designing things in that way is important to me personally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like if you're Coinbase or so, you just participate in the setup ceremony and then you can be certain that for you as a company, it is completely trustless because you, you participated yourself. Okay, okay. Okay, so it sounds like BitVM, one of the applications of BitVM here is actually more around allowing trustless or, or trust-minimized peg-in, peg-out to sidechains. Um, so j just to close this question of uh, spending limits, um is there any applications that you guys see from bitvm that on that regard like uh, limiting the the spending rights of of an account uh similar to what we've heard about with covenants in bitcoin uh, i think i think there might be a way to do this uh, I, one of the things i'd like to point out before um, before we go further into the use cases of bitvm is i'd like to make to give everyone a reminder that we're at the stage of like building castles in the sky right now. Um, we're, we're imagining things we might be able to do. Uh, what BitVM can actually do right now, uh, it can do four things. It can uh, check if a string of numbers is all zeros. It can check which of two numbers is bigger. It can check if two numbers add to a certain value. And, uh, and it can uh, validate a chess, a knight's move in chess. Those are, the, those are the four things that it's able to do right now. It's not able to do side chains. It's not able to do covenants. Uh, we're still, we're not even building the foundations of these castles yet that we're talking about. We're like making the bricks so that we can eventually start uh, creating the foundations and then build, you know, covenants and side chains and uh, tornado cash and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that said, uh, I do think, I, I see a path to where at least I, I foresee how I might be able to build um, some form of covenants using this. So perhaps I should clarify for the audience who may not be familiar with what a covenant is. Um, a covenant is a type of Bitcoin um, address where if you put money into that address, it is um, predestined uh, that the moment it goes into that address, it has only one option. It has to go to uh, a predetermined set of addresses with certain amounts. Uh, for example, you might make a covenant that says, you know, if you put money into address A, 50% uh, of it has to go to address B and 50% of it has to go to address C. Like that would be an example of a covenant and it would be uh, something unbreakable. Once you put the money into address A, it can't go anywhere else. No other transaction is valid. Um, so covenants are a, uh, a useful tool for building um, improved versions of side chains. They're useful for building an improved version of the Lightning Network. And there might be something similar to a covenant that we can do with BitVM where uh, you don't make it an unbreakable um, uh, a Bitcoin address with an unbreakable script that says it, the money has to go to address A and B or, or wherever the covenant says. But what you might be able to do is make something where um, you put money into an address and if you don't, then send it to, you know, Alice and Bob in 50% in each. If you don't do that, then you lose a bond you put up. You lose some collateral you put up that you said, I, I will uh, lose this money unless I send the money to where the covenant says it should go. Uh, and so this kind of breakable covenant uh, is not really a covenant because it's breakable, but it is incentivized. Like you're incentivized to keep your promise. If you put the money into address A, you're going to send it on to wherever the covenant says it should go. Otherwise, you'll lose a lot more money um, than you than uh, than the than the breaking the promise is worth. Uh, so I think we could build something like that with BitVM. At least I foresee a path to how we can do that. 
And uh, that might be good enough. It might be good enough if we have these things, which I've been calling bonded covenants. Uh, if we have bonded covenants, they might be good a good enough replacement for real covenants that we could use them for the applications covenants have been um, proposed for, such as improving the Lightning Network, uh, making ARC easier, and improving the models of sidechains that we use today. Yeah, that's a great explanation. That's a great overview of, of, of the question. And it does seem like there's basically two models, but there might be more, right? But it seems, you know, on, with Bitcoin on chain, you have this sort of cryptographic certainty backed by the proof of work that once you send Bitcoin from A to B, uh, it's basically secure. There's actually economic incentives underneath it, but they're so solid that, you know, there's no real, there's very little doubt about their reliability. You know, once you have a few blocks uh, be on top of your transaction, it's pretty much irreversible. Whereas with the Lightning Network, it kind of takes somewhat of a different approach. It says, well, if you you put you have your sats on a Lightning balance, right? And if the counterparty bails or tries to do something funny and you call them out, then they you, they can get punished. You can punish them. You can you can submit the proof of their fraud to the network, and then they lose a greater amount, potentially all the money on the channel. Um, and I think this is the, called a justice transaction or something like that. And so there's one of them has like a deeper certainty, the deeper cryptographic certainty, and the other ones have are more based on a, an economic sort of punishment and economic incentives model. Is that roughly accurate? I would say so, yeah. Awesome. Wow, we have Raiden uh, from covenants he's uh, also we've been talking about having him on the show i'm gonna i'm gonna let him join the 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 conversation but let's let's uh zoom in a little bit more on bitvms and then maybe we can enter a little bit of a bigger conversation about um about scaling uh because i think this is a conversation that's becoming very important and we're, we're gonna need to sort of dive deeper into it um but okay so you've given us a context sort of a, an idea of bitvm uh, what it can do now, what it could potentially do. It seems like the idea of smart contracts are very, very interesting. I, I certainly think their their power has been proven, at least by other networks. And uh, theoretically, there's a lot of things that you could do with them. Um, what is uh, the current state of BitVM? And um, maybe, yeah, let, tell us about where, where the project is at right now. I'm assuming there's a GitHub. Uh, can people play with it? Um, is there even, is there a wallet yet or can, like, could I download it and run it on my node? Uh, where, where are we at with the project? Um, yeah, unfortunately it's still very early stage. Um, yeah, the paper was released not even two weeks ago. And then, uh, that week I was also at a Bitcoin conference in Amsterdam, so I didn't have much time to do the implementation, but, um, yeah, the design phase is more or less completed, like. I think we have a very clear picture of what we are going to build. And um, yeah, the first implementation started already, um, like the low-level circuits that we have to implement in Bitcoin script. Um, but um, yeah, it will take another, hopefully one week or 10-ish days or something until there is a very uh, first version that uh, people can play around with. Robin, am I to understand that you don't consider my proof of concept to be the first implementation? Uh, okay, sorry, sorry. Uh, what, what I mean is like the first implementation of that uh, 
VM as I envision it in the sense that it's programmable and that you have like some kind of high, high level language that compiles down to the, uh, to the VM's language. And then that VM is expressed in uh, circuits. So, yeah. So if, if you, if you want to, um, I, I did make a proof of concept that, that demonstrates how the thing works. Um, and it's not very good. It's written in about 200 lines of JavaScript. You can play with it by going to my GitHub, and and uh, it's the it's probably the currently the most starred re repo on there right now. It's called Tapleaf Circuits, um, and you can actually I've got I've got it working on the web. You can actually play with uh, some the, with three of the contracts I mentioned earlier that actually run in the on on the my implementation of BitVM. Um, now there's some caveats about mine. Um, mine is not efficient. It's very slow. It um, requires, uh, it, it can only work with, uh, with, a ver with very small programs that have something like uh, less than 10,000 logic gates in them. Um, so it's, it's got a lot of limitations, but uh, it does work. Like you can actually play with uh, a version of the BitVM today. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm currently working on um, improving it, making it uh, compatible, more compatible and, and implement some of the ide uh, ideas in the uh, BitVM white paper. But um, really, you know, I, I'm notorious in this space for designing things in the worst possible way. Uh, and it would be much better if, if someone who's actually good at programming uh, works with Linus and others to make uh, something that's like not JavaScript, like maybe a Rust version would be really good. Um, and I've also got a GitHub repository called um, Things BitVM Needs, uh, which I've, I'll probably go link to that um, in, the, in the space. So that uh, we, we, it needs a lot of things. And a, a big primary thing is uh, more functions to be written for it. Or at least for me, that is, a, that is a primary thing. I don't know if Robin agrees with that. Perhaps he thinks the, um, the high level language is, more, is a more prominent need. Um, but yeah, I, I will link to that. And then anyone who wants to get involved with developing can um, contribute that way by just checking off things on the things we need to do list, uh, as well as by uh, joining our Telegram group. So I will, I will go tweet both of those things and then share the tweet in the nest up at the top of this thing. Awesome. All right, and one of the questions that came up when I was doing some research for BitVM was whether or not you needed soft forks to implement BitVM. The, the first wave of, of uh, information I saw about it said that you did not need any soft work for BitVM. But then recently I saw somebody credible say, no, actually you do need a soft work. Um, do you need a soft fork to implement BitVM or is there some restricted version of it that you can implement without a soft fork? Tell us, tell us about that, Linus. Yeah, BitVM was designed to not need a soft fork. That was the entire purpose of it. If, if we would assume that we can make a soft fork, then we could have way better systems than BitVM. BitVM is especially working with the fact that it's hard to get a soft fork. Um, I think what you heard is that um, pretty quickly, we started dreaming about what soft forks would make BitVM better. And pretty quickly, it became apparent that like stuff like APO, CTV, uh, also CAT, OpCAT, um, they all would yeah, enable things that would drastically improve the BitVM. In particular, um, CTV could help make... Um, that set up non-interactive such that you could have way more verifiers, not just 100 verifiers, but maybe 10,000 or 100,000 verifiers. And um, yeah, that would make it much better because uh, trusting that there is one honest person in 100 people is, of course, a much stronger assumption than trusting that there is one honest people in 100,000 people. 
And um, yeah, so it would be great if we had something like covenants, CTV, TX hash. Also, it would be awesome if we had APO. It would be great if we had CAT, but none of that is needed to build um, that trust minimized two-way pack. Fantastic. Um, and okay, so this is this has been a great overview of BitVM. What do you guys need to move forward uh, and accelerate the development of, of BitVM? It's of course awesome if you want to sponsor development. Um, we are a nonprofit, like in general, ZeroSync is a nonprofit, and uh, we usually we live off um, research grants. And um, yeah, we created this um, Bitcoin wallet just for the community to crowdfund the BitBM um, development. And uh, yeah, you can find it in the white paper. And uh, even more awesome would be if you're if you're a developer yourself, and if if you like low level stuff, if you like Bitcoin script, and hopefully Rust, it would be great if you just join our Telegram channel and yeah, help us implement it. And um, yeah, that's mostly the way. Of course, yeah, you can share the word, like spread the word, share it on Twitter, share it in your channels, um, invite us to your podcasts. Uh, I, uh, I tweeted something in, as a response to this space about how you can contribute. Um, and I clicked to share it in the nest at the top of this thing. But at least for me, it's not showing up. I don't know if it's showing up for yeah, other let, people. Let me, uh, let me do it. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the tweet. Um, maybe DM it to me and I'll, I'll pin it. Okay. For, for me, it's in the, in the chat bubble at the bottom right hand of my, of my phone. Um, but I will oh, I also... see it. Okay, cool. All right. I got oh. it up in the nest. Um, okay, and let's uh, I, again. I want I want to get into this question of, of scalability and all the proposals we have rating on the as a speaker as well, which is awesome. But um, before we get into that, uh, I just listened last night to Edward Snowden's uh, address on the Amsterdam Bitcoin conference, and it was a very kind of sobering and um, alarming uh, speech. You know, he he said that he kind of raised the question of whether Bitcoiners are getting complacent around privacy, uh, saying that the internet in general has privacy issues and Bitcoin is no, no, um, no stranger to that. Um, do you guys see, you know, thinking about the, the castle in the sky of which the foundations are just being laid, um, is there a, a path to or, or, a, or a future where BitVM could help increase privacy in Bitcoin? Yes, definitely. Um, I'm also working on ZK coins. Um, ZK coins is very similar to Taro and RGB. However, um, yeah, it is a client-side validation protocol, but it also applies zero-knowledge proofs to the client-side validation protocol. And that can give you essentially perfect privacy because it obfuscates both the transaction amounts and also the transaction graphs. And yeah, that BitVM would allow to do a two-way pack between... Um, yeah, that's client-side validation model on top of Bitcoin. And yeah, it would allow to bridge BTC into ZK coins. And then we could have um, yeah, perfectly private Bitcoin transactions, essentially. And they're even more scalable because Bitcoin can currently process about 100 um, ZK coin transactions per second, theoretically. Right. Yeah, there, there's um, there's this sort of critique of zero knowledge style cryptocurrencies which is that you know, maybe it's an outdated critique which was that 
because there's zero knowledge, you can't actually easily verify the supply. So let's say you build a, a two-way bridge between Bitcoin and, and a CK coin, right? And they're, they're, they, they're pegged to the same supply, the same denomination or something like that. And then uh, maybe there's a bug in the zero knowledge proof. And then like, is there a way to verify the supply of a zero knowledge coin pool? Or is this just like a fundamental trade-off when you want privacy uh, in crypto in a cryptocurrency? Yeah, first of all, I would agree that it's a fundamental issue with privacy protocols in general, that um, yeah, the auditability is way more limited. Um, if you if you just have the values in clear text and you can run the numbers and you can be certain everything is fine but if all the all the amounts are obfuscated and encrypted then it becomes much harder i do think there are some ways to uh harden the cryptography in a way that it wouldn't be that bad if there is like some inflation bug in like some implementation because you would have somewhat like a backup implementation I think Tim Roofing was uh, working on something like that. Um, it wouldn't be applicable to ZK coins, though. Um, ZK coins would suffer from exactly the issue that you said, that if there is an implementation bug either in, in the protocol or in the uh, ZKP system, then uh, you could inflate the supply without anybody knowing about it. Of course, you could not inflate the base layer supply. That is completely... Uh, separated from the zk coins however it would be an issue if you could inflate the zk coin supply and if many people were using it let's say half of the community would be using zk coins and then suddenly there's a bug and you could inflate it that would be devastating to the bitcoin supply as well because yeah half of the supply would suddenly be inflatable and people wouldn't notice maybe for years um, so there is an issue, of course, and uh, it is always a trade-off. Like you, you, you buy that privacy um, with, um, yeah, you're, you're giving away the auditability for privacy. Yeah, there's, um, you know, it's interesting because the, the, there's this trade-off that we're talking about, and you know, presumably, if you if you just if you're going to transform your BTC into a, you know, say hyper private version of it with these trade-offs, then that's because you intend to spend it. And so perhaps the use case here is like, well, if you're, if you're, if you're not holding your wealth here for years on the CK coin and you're simply using to transact it in a more private way, then maybe this trade-off is tolerable. And it's certainly tolerable to a lot of people in coins like Monero or, you know, uh, what maybe even Tornado Cash probably has the same fundamental issues. Um, there's also uh, uh, Peter Todd, uh, I remember had a tweet about sort of more complex math that you could run on these sort of CK style coins that that could provide some some mathematical guarantees of supply. So maybe you guys should look into that. But um, but okay, good to know. I mean, it's a difficult problem. Yeah, but the, those mathematical um, tricks uh, only work if, if there's no bug in the implementation. And we've seen lots of those uh, with, with a lot of these cryptographic protocols. A lot of the zero knowledge stuff is bleeding edge. A lot of it's like coming from papers that just came out on Tuesday. And uh, the implementation, someone writes it in JavaScript and pretty soon there's a bug and, and a lot of people get rubbed and lose their money. It's like, but I thought the math was guaranteed. Well, yeah, if they had implemented it correctly. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, uh, yeah, it's amazing. This is... Uh... 
it's cryptography is hard, but I think uh, at least there's there's uh, very sharp people like you working on trying to do this right. Um, what what about like coin join style implementations? You know, we have we have everything from Wasabi to Samurai to coin join. Sorry, to join market. Uh, can BVM help improve or scale these these implementations? Um, yeah, well, if you if you had BitVM and ZK coins, then you could have essentially coin joins for free, and you could have way better coin joins because yeah, you could just peg into a ZK coin and then wait two days and peg out again, and there would be no way to correlate your peg in and your peg out. Um, it would be just essentially like as if you were were using Monero or something. I think some people are doing it that they are using Monero as a as a coin join layer to just uh, yeah, pack some coins in there and then pack them out again two days later and uh, gain privacy. Two, um, of the, two of the limitations of the coin join models we have today are, um, well, one of them is the, is the interactivity that's required. Um, so whenever you do a coin join, you get, let's say, 10 people who want to do a coin join. Uh, you all have to you know, connect to each other somehow. Often that's uh, by all of you running Samurai or by all of you running Wasabi or by all of you running Join Market. Um, you, your computers connect to one another and you, someone says, let's do a coin join. Maybe it's the coordinator who's like, we're going to do one every hour. Or maybe in Join Market, you post an offer and you say, I would like to do one you know, in 20 minutes. And uh, when you, within all the people who want to be a part of this coin join use the software to register for it. They create a Bitcoin transaction that has the structure of the coin join, like what the amounts are going to be. Uh, you register your inputs for it, you register your outputs, and then everyone does a round of, of signing this transaction. It's a very interactive process. And uh, in order to do interaction, you need one of two things. You either need everybody to be online in order to interact, or you need to slow the thing down. And you don't have to be online right now, but you've got, you know, 30 minutes to get online to co-sign your transaction. Otherwise, we're kicking you out of the uh, coin join wrap. So those are two limitations that I think um, I personally would like to uh, work on uh, improving coin join to get rid of those uh, limitations. And I would honestly like it to eventually be something more like Tornado Cash, uh, because with the Tornado Cash protocol, you know, you you've there's a there's a tornado cash address you deposit coins into that address everyone everyone does and uh let's say you know you can do that on your phone you don't need to be running any software constantly or anything no one has custody of your money and four or five days later whenever you want you can come get your coins out but now they're anonymized uh, in the bitcoin context they're a fresh new utxo that's not associated with your identity i would like to see that model built out and i think uh well, I don't, I don't currently see a path toward building that with BitVM, um, but we might be able to if we could get some sort of sidechain going. I mean, one, one path to it would be create a sidechain, put the EVM on it, clone the Tornado Cache code into that. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of unsolved problems in the way of that. But I do think BitVM gets us closer because it gives us more flexibility in the kinds of things we can build on Bitcoin. Awesome. Well, I think that's great. Is there anything anything else you guys want to mention about BitVM that, that you think we didn't maybe go deep enough before we move on to, let's say, broader scaling questions? Um, I think one important thing is that um, when BitVM allows us to do bridges, it is fine if that bridge is slow and hard to use because if it works 
somehow, then it's already good enough to give some uh, asset on the sidechain value. And if that asset on the sidechain has value, then uh, regular users can just use atomic swaps to swap between main chain and sidechain. And they will not have to use um, the BitVM at all. So if we just manage to, to make the bridge work somehow, even though if it's cumbersome and like slow to use, it will be still very, very useful. I think the same philosophy is behind the liquid pack as well. The liquid pack is also very slow, but regular users usually don't use it. They just do atomic swaps to liquid. And, back. and for, as a final thought, I think, I think you asked for final thoughts a few minutes ago. And yeah. just as one of them, I'd, I'd like to mention that um, uh, BitVM is not, uh, doesn't solve all of the problems in the way of making Bitcoin more scalable and making Bitcoin more private. It's a new tool that we can use to assist us with um, solving these problems, the problems that lie in the way of those goals. Um, but it doesn't solve them all by itself. Uh, I do think, though, that uh, it, it may be the biggest, it may have been the biggest uh, hurdle. The, the biggest hurdle may have been to get, you know, Bitcoin script flexible enough to do all this stuff. And now I think it might be, or now I think it is. So, um, so yeah, that, I think the biggest hurdle has been, has been uh, overcome, but, uh, but there are others uh, that are still unsolved in the direction of making Bitcoin um, more, very scalable for the world and very private for you know, people who care about privacy, like myself. Right on. I had a question on the ZK coins versus inflation. Um, I saw there's a similar risk with eCash mints, and I've seen uh, Kali proposing eCash mints where, where essentially tokens roll over periodically to prove that the eCash mint wasn't over-issuing. Could something similar be done with ZK coins, Robin? Yes, I think so, yeah. But on the other hand, be cool. it depends, right? Like, um, there are two, two models that I could think of. Like, if, if people prove in zero knowledge, maybe with another proof system or so, that their coins are valid, and uh, that the supply adds up, um, then, yeah, if you use another proof system that would work, then you would not have to give up privacy. But if people would have to uh, unwrap their coins and make them, yeah, just disclose them, that uh, yeah, would sacrifice privacy, of course, even though you could gain it back afterwards by making a couple more transactions. But I think the better model would be to just use a second uh, ZKP model, ZKP system. Gotcha. At least me as a as an on-chain Bitcoin type, I, I think uh, I would be more likely to use a ZK coin if I if it has like a six-month rolling rolling window where where all coins must be brought back to main chain. So there's there's kind of visibility into it can't inflate at least it can't inflate in the long run. Yeah, definitely. That's yeah, that is definitely a good point that uh, we should think about. Because, yeah, that inflation bug can be devastating. And uh, many people who, who understand the technology uh, have this concern. And uh, we should totally address it before we roll out any production system. Right on. And welcome, Raiden. Good to have you here. Uh, thank you guys for the introduction and the sort of overview of BVM. I, I wish you guys the best. I think it's sounds pretty interesting. I like that it doesn't require a soft fork. Um, and hopefully uh, we can use this this tool, this building block to to move things forward. 
as the 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 wave of the next bull market is sort of starting to emerge, you know, and sort of cover the sun, right? So we're gonna we're gonna have uh, potentially a lot more people coming in the next few years, and it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how we can deal with that that new demand. Um, let's um let's get into into covenants and scaling and soft forks a little bit deeper. Raiden, you and I have been talking over DMs about having doing a podcast about this, so it's great to have you on right now. Uh, maybe can you give us a little bit of an overview of where the conversation is at? What are the, let's say, most popular soft fork approaches to covenants? And uh, where do you believe uh, the best implementation lies right now? Yeah, sure. Thanks. I, I didn't expect to, to end up doing this today. I thought we were going to do VM the whole time, but... Uh... I'm glad to talk about it. Um, uh, first, one thing I wanted to, to just kind of toss back to Super Testnet on the topic of covenants is that, well, one kind of covenant is what you mentioned. Um, uh, Paula D calls it the equality covenant, um, as in the kind where the covenant restricts the next outputs that will be created by some uh, Bitcoin address. Um, there are basically unlimited, there is basically unlimited design space for covenants. You can have a covenant that rather than restricting the specific outputs that you can create from an address, it restricts that uh, from that address only, or from a UTXO at that address, only uh, 10,000 sats at a time may be spent per transaction. Uh, or you could have a covenant that restricts, um, the, there's the tap leaf update verify proposal. So it restricts the way in which the tap tree can be changed. So Maybe you have to replicate most of the tap tree, but one item in it can change uh, when you spend from this address um, or, or basically any other thing you might want to restrict about the next transaction spending from this address. Um, equality covenants are currently the most widely discussed. Um, like check template verify is kind of the fundamental equality covenant because it, it is exactly restrictive enough to predict the next transaction IDs as you unwrap a CTV uh, structure. But there are, again, many other kinds of covenants. Um, so that's, that's one thing that, that just, when we look at the space of covenants, um, there's a lot to talk about. Um, in terms of the proposals that are out there and, and what's kind of most well-developed, um, the, the proposals that have written working code, to the best of my knowledge, uh, for Bitcoin, let me say for Bitcoin, because there, there are others that work on Liquid, for example. Uh, but for Bitcoin, there is basically um, OpsyTV, which is BIP 119, um, Sigcash, any prev out or APO, which is BIP 118, um, and OpVault, which I believe is BIP 345, but don't quote me on that one. Um, so those, those three proposals have written working code for Bitcoin, um, which is why James O'Byrne recently proposed a soft fork. Um, he, he made a pull request for Bitcoin Core that would soft fork activate all three of those together. Um, they have good, working, well-tested code. Um, so that's probably the most likely ways that covenants might come to Bitcoin. Um, we talked a little bit about what Check Template Verify does already. It's a it's a strict out or a strict equality covenant. It, it precisely restricts the next outputs that a, um, a, a address can be spent to. Um, so that's the the probably the simplest of the covenant proposals that are almost the simplest possible. Um, and I remember two years ago, I talked to Jeremy Rubin about this. And, and at first I was, I was against object template verify because, you know, here's this, 
there's this enthusiastic promoter pushing for off check template verify. It's got to be a it's got to be an attack. Um, but when I when I sat down and read the proposal, um, you know, I, I really couldn't see a way in which it was an attack. And and he thought through re really very carefully exactly what should go into this hash to make it the the simplest useful equality covenant structure. Um, you can predict the future TXIDs. It doesn't have uh, recursion, so you can't you can't accidentally lock a coin forever with a check template verify covenant. There has to be a way out within a a defined number of steps that you've pre-computed, um, all those kinds of things. So I think, again, in this huge space of covenants, check template verify is probably the very safest thing that we could do. Uh, and I think really the only objection anyone raises to check template verify is that it might be too simple. It might not offer enough flexibility for what people want from covenants. Um, maybe I'll pause there. Any questions about CTV before we get into APO or vaults or other things? One thing that's helpful to me is the um, is the addition of terms that qualify exactly what kind of covenant you're talking about. So t today you mentioned equality covenants, and I mentioned um, something that I'm trying to call bonded covenants, even though perhaps that's a misnomer because they're not really covenants. Um, but I think some kind of glossary might be helpful, at least for me. Uh, I would like to, sometimes I forget the differences between the various kinds, and uh, some kind of glossary for that would be helpful. Do you know of any any resource like that? I don't, that, and that's a great point. The only term that I've seen specifically is the equality covenant, and then there's kind of the all the other covenants that don't we don't have names for, but they do different things. Somebody consider making a GitHub repo, and uh, uh, any any listener who wants to uh, do that, uh, I would I would uh, contribute. Yeah, I think that'd be great. I've I've made kind of some some comparison documents comparing the what's hashed in different different. Uh, concrete proposals uh, and what and how they execute, but they've all been hashed covenants. So, so going a little broader than equality covenants, you can go to generally hashed covenants, where um, what your covenant restricts is some aspect of the spending transaction via a hash. And and so equality covenants are very strict hashed covenants. They exactly restrict all the outputs. And then generally speaking, both check template verify and secash any prev out can be used to form some kind of hashed covenant where um, any prev out is less restrictive than check template verify, although in its most restrictive mode, it is similar to check template verify. And all, this all does get quite complicated. Okay. Yeah, I'd found a, a spreadsheet that covered uh, a bunch of these different uh, software and covenant types, covenant solutions. I'm, I'm looking for it, but I haven't found it yet. I'll, as soon as I find it, I'll post it on the nest. Um, Raiden, can you give us uh, an example of a let's say the what would the ideal covenant look like and how would it actually help scale bitcoin uh what would a, an, an ideal implementation look like wow that's a that's a huge question um i think it's always going to be a matter of, of trade-offs complexity versus benefits so a lot of people uh like barack uh, of, who, who authored the arc proposal um, you know, he, he would rather have a very expressive covenant. So he's looking at OptX or OptX hash plus cat plus check sig from stack. Uh, we don't need to get into the, the full details of all of those. But the, the point is, it's a very expressive covenant that lets you, as a script author, um, have many more tools at your disposal to, to restrict the ways in which a transaction could be spent, especially, you know, writing fairly complex scripts that might restrict some parts in some cases, but other parts in other cases. 
Um, but, and sorry, and that would be great. That'd be, that'd be like the ultimate covenant um, to, to go all the way down into ideally, you know, some folks that have worked on Liquid want to get full what's called transaction introspection, where with a script opcode, you can take anything about the current transaction that's being validated and put it on your script execution environment and then do math against it or, or, or look at it. So you could, for example, say, get me the values of every input and every output from the current transaction, and then I can do math on those different values to decide whether this transaction is valid. Um, so that's like the ultimate covenant is full transaction introspection. Uh, but that adds significant complexity. And, and the reason that some of these opcodes were taken out of Bitcoin, actually, opcat being the, the classic example here, opcat itself didn't really have a problem, but Satoshi got scared by a specific bug in a different opcode and, and so disabled all of the currently kind of unused opcodes in Bitcoin. Um, and so there is this trade-off of the best covenant would be full transaction introspection, but that comes with the greatest risk of a bug making something break in Bitcoin. So, so within that space, um, my personal opinion, and this is very much an opinion, so, so please don't anyone take this as some kind of gospel, um, is that the best balance that we can get for a covenant right now is a flexible hashed covenant. Uh, so check up a verify is a completely inflexible hashed covenant. It has exactly one mode and the BIP specifies exactly what parts of the transaction are hashed together. And then you can do an equality check only on that covenant. So it's a very inflexible hashed covenant. Um, Steven Roos just made probably a proposal for about the most flexible hashed covenant you could do, which is optx hash plus optcheck sig from staff. Um, so with optx hash, you can... Uh, and also, he also included optx hash verify, which is similar to check template verify, but flexible. Uh, so with optx hash and optx hash verify, you can specify precisely which pieces of the transaction to include in the hash. And then you can either verify that hash or make it available for other computation or other comparisons. Um, for example, with optx hash and optcheck sig from stack, you can uh, precisely emulate sig hash any prev out. So, those, that's kind of the spectrum of, of flexibility within hashed covenants. You can have the most flexible with optx hash plus optcheck sig from stack, or you can have the least flexible with optcheck template verify. Um, personally, within that spectrum, I'm kind of a middle of the road guy. I wrote a proposal I called, um, uh, uh, I called it template key, I believe, which is a broad set of hashing modes that you can select from and use them either in a signature mode or in a hash verification mode but you can never get that hash visible on the stack and you don't get the full flexibility of bitwise selecting exactly what from the transactions you're validating against. You just get specific predefined modes, um, which for, for listeners who are familiar with the sig hash modes in Bitcoin, you might have heard of like sig hash anyone can pay or sig hash um, single. The modes available in something like my template key proposal are basically a, a bigger set of possible modes and then we make them available both for equality verification with uh, a check template verify like opcode and also for signature verification with a template key. Um, so that's my, my ideal covenant in terms of the trade-off space that we've drilled down to my personal ideal, which is a flexible mode-based hashed template. All right. I understood like a good 30% of that, but... Uh... <laughs> No, but I I, it, I I get a I get a sense of 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 what it is. I appreciate that introduction. I think that was probably very very useful for 
developers and people that are uh, more technically oriented. I'm seeing some some thumbs up on the on the audience, which is great. Um, within the context of these covenant soft forks, um, what are your thoughts on covenants uh, as a scaling solution? Do you think they're they're you know practical? Uh, and and if and are, is there any particular implementation that you like or that you think could actually be good uh, if we do see another let's say soft fork upgrade event uh, in the near future? Yeah, I like CTV. That would be that would be the one that I uh, feel like I have the most understanding about and uh, and see how it could be used. I see how it could be used to simplify the creation of Arc, and I see how it could be used to help with um, with side chains with making side chains better. So that's that's one that I, I would at least have a couple of things that I could like immediately do with it, uh, and I'd like to see that one. Right on, yeah. CTV seems to be the most the most uh, popular one. Linus just gave us a thumbs up. Linus, do you wanna do you wanna share your thoughts? Anything you wanna maybe any? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think like in terms of um, um, benefit risk risk ratio, CTV is probably the best upcode uh, proposal we have currently. It's very, very simple and it enables all kinds of awesome things. Okay. And what are you guys seeing in terms of consensus, right? Um, you know, if, if you were to ask your developer friends, maybe Linus, since you just had the mic, if you're going to ask your developer friends, where do they generally stand? Like, what what is the support ratio for CTV over other ones or over no software at all? Is there? Can you give us a sense of where the developer community is at in terms of CTV? Mm, I like the Arc guys a lot, like Burak and um, Steven and also Tiero. Tiero is also here. Um, and as far as I know, they are favoring um, currently TX hash because CTV doesn't solve some edge case. Like um, there's some some edge case where um, it's easier to deal with fees if if you have like more fine granular control over over the covenant. And um, yeah, I think these guys are pretty smart and like they would have figured out a way to do it if it would be possible with CTV. So it seems to be limited, and it feels like yeah, the more people are using it for reward use cases. Or like the the more people are trying to apply it to real world use cases, the more they figure out edge cases where they want this more fine granular control. And for that reason, it might be right that people like Adam Beck, for example, who opposed it when when Jeremy was pushing it, that they were right when they were saying that we should wait for a more powerful covenant proposal. And um, yeah, I'm somewhat in between the chairs. I, I think on the one hand, it would be cool to just activate CTV because it is useful as it is, even though it's not perfect. And um, yeah, we will never have something perfect. So it might be the right choice to just go for it and um, just activate it and, and, and do the stuff that we can do with it to prevent the endless bike shedding that we will have when we yeah, compare all the possible proposals that exist or might exist or might exist at some point or so so i'm personally in favor of ctv and i have lots of friends who who are in favor of ctv all right yeah and, i'll uh, add to that 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 both ahead. tx hash and um the, the idea that, that i that i wrote up uh, template key both of those either of those or potentially even both of them 
could be added to Bitcoin as, as a enhancement to CTV. So the way CTV is authored, um, CTV uh, constrains an, a NOP style opcode within uh, pre-tap script. It also works in tap script, but, but also works in, in pre-tap script scripts. So um, it restricts that opcode so that the previous argument on the stack, um, if it's 32 bytes, then CTV constrains it to be the, exactly this hash of the current transaction. But if that opcode, or sorry, if that argument from the stack is anything other than 32 bytes, if it's one byte, two bytes, or more than 32 bytes, it's not constrained by the CTV VIP as written, which means that if we did CTV today, the very next day we could say, well, actually, we also want to have hashes with a flags byte or with a flags multi-byte, like the current TX hash proposal, um, and constrain it further the next day. So I, I am super duper in favor of CTV uh, yesterday, and then we can continue down this path of figuring out whether you know TX hash or template key or, or APO, where we also make the APO hashes available to uh, CTV, you know, there's a lot of ways we could go from there, but CTV itself, I think, is a is an obvious win. Yep, sounds very reasonable to me. That's awesome. And uh, Raiden, can you give us a sense of what your developer friends or the pe the developers that you're in communication with, where do they stand in terms of CTV? How do you see the consensus over this soft fork uh, at this time? Complicated question. Um, you know, I think most people sit somewhere pretty close to where, where Robin is. Um, like CTV is fine. Uh, you know, maybe there's a benefit to waiting a little bit for, for reasons like Adam Back had mentioned. But I think, I think most people are kind of in that camp. The, the pushback that I see at times is, is there's a subset of Lightning developers for whom CTV gives them nothing. And there's this problem in the, um, in the current Bitcoin approach to trying to gain rough consensus for something um, that everybody with a stake in the ground wants to get something out of the next soft fork. Um, and so for Lightning, CTV does, I'm not gonna go as far to say as it does nothing to help Lightning, but it's not particularly helpful to Lightning uh, because, it, because of the lack of a signed hashed covenant, which is what APO provides. Um, and, and so as, as a result, we see kind of a lack of consensus from a certain subset of developers who are really focused on lightning benefits. Uh, so that's what I see. Perhaps that could be um, assisted if, if someone, uh, I, I, I suppose there are some ways that you can out, that if somebody made an outline of ways in which CTV does help lightning um, and, and like clarify that and said, here's, here's how you could improve lightning with CTV uh, and make some bullet points and maybe some, an explainer. That might help. That might help bring more people from the Lightning camp on board. Because I, I don't think it's nothing. I, I doubt for most things, if it helps you in one area, it's probably applicable in some way to another area. Uh, and maybe no one's outlined it and written it all out yet. But I'll bet there's a way that it helps Lightning. Doesn't it help with channel factories? It's not optimal, I guess, but it would help, I think. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's the thing I was thinking of. I, I know it helps with channel factories. Um, but channel factories are, are pretty far out development. As far as I understand, they don't help Lightning today. Uh, the, the, the bolts aren't even written to do channel factories, et cetera. Uh, I see. Makes sense, yeah. Fascinating stuff. Um, we're, we're, I'm talking with Adam back right now, and we're trying to coordinate a conversation, hopefully next week. Um, 
are there any any questions you guys think I should ask him in terms of this this conversation about covenants and and scaling Bitcoin? Um, yeah, how he wants to deal with the bike shedding when he yeah for for the almighty covenant because that seems to be the biggest issue that when you yeah, propose the almighty covenant then you will have endless bike shedding because nobody will know what you can do with it and what you cannot do with it and i feel like it will be really hard to convince people like to to gain consensus on it okay can you um can you expand that issue a little bit more i know that this is kind of this kind of a deep in the in the developer weeds of 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 scaling what is endless bike shedding? Is this a proposal that Adam seems to be more favorable towards? <laughs> no, no, or like no, no. A, a, an issue that he does. Uh, go ahead. <laughs> like bike shedding is just like a, an idiom. Um, it is uh, the idea of like some some committee. Uh, they they are in charge of like some nuclear power plant or something, and then uh, instead of discussing the security of the nuclear power plant, they are discussing the color of the bike shed. And um, that has become yeah, like an idiom, that this idea of like bike shedding. So like you uh, endlessly talk about the irrelevant stuff instead of talking about the relevant stuff. And, That's hilarious. Yeah. And there is like that. It, it has to do with the idea that um, sometimes actually sitting down and getting something done is very difficult to do. Um, but if there, but, but everyone in a committee wants to contribute something. And maybe they're not ready to talk about the nuclear power plant, but they do know that there's a bike shed supposed to be built outside for people to want to bike into work. And they've got a lot of opinions on that. And so the committee ends up spending an inordinate amount of time talking about something that doesn't really matter. Uh, in the context of covenants, well, there's, there's a whole bunch of proposals about which covenants to make. And I think the, there's some criticism that this is, that this is bike shedding, that we're, we're spending all this time thinking of the, 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 ideal, uh, the ideal one instead of actually getting the nuclear power plant, or in this case, instead of actually implementing the covenant, uh, we just spend the whole time talking about what would be, what would be the ideal ideal thing that we could, like, uh, yeah. So that's that's where the criticism comes from, and, or at least that's my impression of it. Sure. Yeah, and the next level is that the more complexity any, uh, any fork introduces, um, the more unknown unknowns there are. And the more unknown unknowns there are, the higher the risk. And um, when another you... expression for this might be not to let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah. Uh, are we in danger of getting to a scenario where everyone, a lot of developers agree that CTV would be great, um, but we don't activate it because there are some who are like, yeah, but I don't want to activate it because TX hash would be better yeah, or, or something like that. We are already past the point where it's ridiculous, right? Because covenants have been discussed for over a decade now, and uh, we still don't have them, even though pretty much everybody agrees that we should have them. So uh, we are already in a kind of weird situation here. Did you guys listen to um, that podcast with MVK? Um, I'll, I'll try to find it and post it, but he was basically saying... They were having a conversation similar to this one discussing covenants, I believe. Maybe I'm wrong about this, but I believe he was supportive of CTV. And he was basically saying, like, at this point, somebody just has to plant the flag and, and take another shot at it. Um, you guys, are you guys familiar with that podcast? And um, is that what the point where we're at? Somebody just has to plant the flag? Sounds like a good idea. 
Yeah, I think yeah. with CTV we're we're very close. Uh, it, the, and the, the, I think the biggest question really is is it is it um, CTV alone or is it CTV plus APO that 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 flag should be planted with? Both have been code complete for a very long time. I think APO was actually code complete sooner. On the flip side, uh, APO has a known issue that they want to change before they would activate it. Whereas CTV, the code has been fixed for a long time. So the, the point is that they're, they're both long-standing proposals um, with a lot of support from various people. And so the question is, is it just CTV or is it CTV plus APO? Gotcha. Yeah, one of the the takeaways from that conversation was that the issue seemed to be more around how to activate it. You know, the, the Taproot software activation was uh, controversial in some ways. Um, and one of the great things about Bitcoin is that there isn't actually an established path to making changes to Bitcoin, right? It's actually very difficult. And that's a, that's, that's a, that's a, a feature, not a bug. The chaos of Bitcoin is a feature because the moment that there's order, that order can be co-opted. And so what do you guys see in terms of uh, soft fork activation paths at this point? Is, is something new being discussed or are we going to try the taproot path again? Whoever wants to take a shot at that <laughs> question, go for it. We, we, you know, we talked about this uh at the last Seattle BitDevs. And the, as far as I can tell, the answer is, is still, we, we really don't know. Um, and and th there's this fundamental challenge in activating things on Bitcoin, which is that there is, we don't have a, what's called a non-Sybil attackable way to pull user consensus for an activation. You know, people talk about, oh, well, we should, we should see what bits a node is displaying. And if a node, is saying they're ready for soft fork A, we should activate soft, if, sorry, if 90% of the nodes are ready for soft fork A, we should activate it. But the problem is that nodes can be spun up trivial on Amazon. So someone could spin up 10 million Bitcoin nodes and now 90% signal for soft fork A. Um, and so we're left in this situation where we have to use the one thing that's not sibilable within Bitcoin, which is mining hash rate as some kind of a proxy for the, the consensus for activating something. Um, but then how do we how do we not let the miners drive the network, right? So we established in the block size war that we don't want to let the miners drive the network. Um, and if we just trust hash rate, then we're trusting the miners. And that's the, the rock and a hard place that we're stuck between, which is that the only thing that you can't symbol attack is hash rate. But if we use that thing, then the miners are in charge. Uh, and, and so I think what, what came out in Taproot, which I think is, is not a bad situation, uh, is that user pressure, both from general, call it Twitter users, and also from mining pool participants, got mining pools to start signaling support, support for Taproot. And there was an interesting situation where uh, when Taproot activated, some of the pools who had signaled support for it actually were not ready to validate Taproot transactions. Um, I, I was working at, at Bitco at the time, and, and we were up late that night on activation of Taproot, trying to broadcast the first ever mainnet multi-sig Taproot transaction. We were all very proud of ourselves. Um, and when the first block after the activation came, there were no Taproot transactions in it, even though the miner that got that block had signaled support. Um, and what that ended up kind of telling us is that the mining pools had signaled due to social pressure. And that's a good thing. That tells us that kind of the user pressure is what made them activate, not their own kind of agenda and also not their actual readiness. So anyway, that's the reality, uh, just some, some ground truth.
Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's, you could make people vote with their coins, like weighted by their coins. We we discussed this at a bit, Devs. Yeah, um, could you do something like uh, read? Ha have a way to signal within a transaction that that transaction supports some soft fork and then sum up the fees spent by transactions supporting and not supporting the soft fork as an indicator of readiness or of a uh, desire. Well, and then the rich have control over whether, uh, over whether yeah. we're going to activate it or not. Yeah. Well, it seems like there's, I mean, I was talking to a friend of mine about this and it seems like Bitcoin is, uh, has a variety of interest groups, right? So we talked about the lightning developers. They have an investment and an interest in lightning. We have the miners, right? We have the holders, right? The hodlers. We have the institutional players, the big exchanges and so on. And then we have the, the let's say, core developers, uh, the Bitcoin core developer community. That's like four or five sort of interest groups. And it, it, this process is somewhat uh, of a political process, for lack of a better word. It seems like there needs to be somebody that just like starts waving a flag. Perhaps it's MBK. That's sort of a big player in the space and has a, a large audience. Um, and then just like take a shot at it and then give people time to complain and, 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 and challenge it. And if they don't challenge it, then maybe that's, that's the way that it gets developed. I don't know. I, I agree, but it can't be MDK. Why not? <laughs> well, I, I have two answers. Well, one is... His podcast puts everyone to sleep, so no one listens to it. <laughs> and the other answer um, is that even I, I'm a huge fan of NDK, uh, but he he burns people with with his attitude about open source and and his his um, his vitriol about certain issues. Um, and, and for similarly, like um, what uh, XBT, the floppy disk guy, um, he kind of started down the road of potentially proposing a software, but he also doesn't have the social capital to do it. I don't know who does right now, frankly, have the social capital to put forward a soft fork. And that's frankly, both a good thing and a challenge for Bitcoin. Yeah, perhaps this will be uh, an event where we, we start seeing fees go up and uh, the need for scaling starts to become pressing and, and that motivates people, you know, that's another possibility that, you know, time is, you know, time is ticking, right? Like uh, the pressure will come and, and it'll come in the next bull market. And, you know, just like the, the, the last, uh, you know, tap Tap, just like with Segwit and with Taproot, both of those forks were up, were implemented implemented uh, in the run up to a bull market. So likely that's uh, that's how it could happen, and and I hope it does happen. I do I do think we need. I mean I don't know, right? I'm not a programmer, I'm not a developer, but it does it does seem to me like we need a solution to scale Lightning beyond its capabilities right now, and and we need some of these sort of scaling solutions in and. You know, to whatever degree they can help privacy uh, as well, that's that's probably going to be the the kill shot. Yeah, it's been a great conversation. Thank you guys for joining us. Is there any any final thoughts you guys want to leave us with? Any any topics that you guys think we should dig into on the next conversation? Well, I gave a final thought about uh, probably like twenty five minutes ago, but um, that's true. For 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 the next conversation, uh, Brit, uh, Arc, make make it about Arc. Right on. Sounds good. Yeah. All right. Um, as a pre as a preview uh, to what we're going to talk about it, adopting Bitcoin, uh, we do need to keep changing Bitcoin, and so this conversation about about both the what and the how uh, has been great, and I want to keep the conversation going. So thank you. Awesome. And uh, to our fellow Canadians, there's a there's a company you guys should know about. It's called Beaver Bitcoin. 
And Beaver Bitcoin is Canada's most user-friendly Bitcoin on-ramp. You can buy Bitcoin instantly, set up recurrent purchases, and directly from your bank account, uh, Beaver Bitcoin is a non-custodial exchange. It delivers you Bitcoin directly to your cold storage wallet that you control. It's built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners, and it's easy enough to recommend to friends and family. You can sign up today at BeaverBitcoin.com. Um, yeah, DCA into cold storage, man. It doesn't get any better than that. And uh, thank you, gentlemen, for joining us today and helping educate us a little bit about the future of Bitcoin, BitVM, Covenants, and Scaling Bitcoin, all very important topics that I think we're going to be hearing a lot more about going forward. Uh, so it's great to to be able to dig into it with, with uh, such talented people. It's uh, It's awesome.